Well, hey, welcome to First Church. So glad you guys are here. And on both our campuses, both here at North Garnett and Stone Canyon, if you guys are excited to be here, put your hands together and let everybody around you know it. Well, today is week four of our series, You're Invited. And every week in this series, we're throwing a different kind of party because we believe the church should be a celebration. We're celebrating who Jesus is and what he came to accomplish. We have reason, even on our worst day, to celebrate. And so every week in this series, we're throwing a different type of party. The first week in our series was our tailgate Sunday. The second week was our Labor Day cookout. Last week was Disneyland Day, which was a lot of fun, especially if you had kids here with you. And today, our theme is road trip. If you can't tell. And because our theme is road trip, we have a car show going on outside. I'm sure you guys already saw all those cars. If not, stop by and see them. We've had cars at both of our campuses, and hopefully we're going to have a whole lot of fun today. And we chose this theme road trip because I don't know about you, but some of the most memorable and exciting times that I've had have been on a road trip with people that I love. And I know there are a lot of people that are excited about this Sunday, the theme that we had this Sunday. I mean, everybody was excited about the other Sundays too, but there were some who were really looking forward to today. And some of those people who were excited about today were some of our staff members, myself included. And I saw this firsthand on my way to church this morning. Take a look at this video. You ready to go to the car show? Yeah, I hear there's gonna be some sweet rides there. Yeah, there is. Hey, we gotta pick up CJ first. What's up, CJ? Much, guys. Just ready to go to this car show. Yeah, we are. It's going to be awesome. Let's go. We don't want to miss anything. Turn on that radio, though. We need some tunes. So wake me up, this is my jam right here. Yeah, yeah, it's your jam. Well, wake me up when it's over. No, Negator. All right. That's what I'm talking about. This? A little guard. What? I mean, Steph's theme song right here. Yeah, we know it's your theme song. We hear it 14 times a day. Okay, yeah, I'm definitely changing that. Oh, T-Swift. No. Haters gonna hate, 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 Matt. Yeah, I am a hater. That's right. Okay, yeah. I've got veto power. No. Oh, this song's kind of lame. It's for a lame song. It's all right, right? I mean, I'm okay with it. You're okay with it? I'm okay with it. I can listen to it. It inspires something within me, actually. Let it go, let it go. Can't hold it back anymore. Let it go, let it go. There are really no words after that, honestly. So I'm just gonna move on from there. Let me just see by a show of hands, both our canvases, how many guys have ever been on a road trip that was fun that you'll never forget? Let me just see your hands. Whether it was a family vacation or a trip to a concert or ball game, maybe just a quick getaway. We've all been on road trips that we'll probably never forget. And my family, because we have two young kids, anytime we go on a road trip, we have to prepare. There are certain essentials we have to have, and I have some of them up here with me. For one thing, we have to have snacks, because if we don't have snacks for my two kids, they are going to complain, they're gonna whine, we're gonna have to stop somewhere. So we always take with us plenty of snacks, and they normally go through them 
We also have to take activities for, you know, Allison and me. No, for our kids. Uh, we bring coloring books or maybe a portable DVD player we put in the back seat so they can watch a movie. We've got to keep them entertained because if not, again, we're going to hear about it. Now, we also have to make sure that we bring the right luggage because if we're staying overnight, got to make sure you have all the right stuff. You don't want to forget anything. I'm sure we've all been on a trip before where you have forgotten something that you needed, forgot to pack it, then you got to go buy it somewhere like at Walmart or wherever. But then we also have to bring with us a pillow every time that we travel. And this is for Allison because Allison will sleep while I drive. The kids will end up falling asleep. You know, they're watching a movie, they'll eventually fall asleep. Allison will sleep up front and I have to drive. And so then we get wherever we're going and they're refreshed and ready to go. And I'm tired because I've been the one driving the whole time. But she brings this pillow not just to sleep in the car, but she can't sleep on a hotel pillow. She's got to bring her own. So she always has a pillow with her. But one other thing that we always have to make sure we have, because we do have little ones, we have to have car seats, and they have to be properly installed, and we have to put the kids in them properly as well. And we've never really had any problems or issues getting our kids to get into their car seats, but I've heard from some of you guys that it's a hassle sometimes to get your kids or grandkids in their car seats. And it reminds me of this video I saw not too long ago. You may have seen this, maybe you've seen this in a sermon before, but of this little girl who, well, let's just say she was giving her dad a hard time as she was getting in her car seat. Take a look at this video. Why about yourself? Can I help? No. I help. I don't. You can help when we're out to eat, okay? You can help when we're out to eat. Yeah, do, you okay. have, do you have booster seats? Probably. You want me to help, Rose? No. Thank you. No, thank you. What do you want me to do? Worry about yourself. <laughs> Worry about yourself. <laughs> I'll do this one, so I'm uh, gonna do that. You drive! <laughs> Worry about yourself! Go drive! <laughs> Go! He's gonna have his hands full with her when she grows up, I know, as she becomes a teenager. When I show that video because I think that little girl's attitude reflects the attitude that we see a lot in our culture today. Our culture kind of has the attitude, the mindset, you just worry about yourself, I'll worry about myself, and we'll all be okay. And sadly, I've seen that attitude creep into the church. Many churches just want to protect their own and they huddle up and they say, we're just going to worry about ourselves and we'll let the world and everybody else out there worry about themselves. And I say that's sad because that's the exact opposite of Jesus's heart. Jesus was always focused on others and he put himself last. His focus was always putting those on the outside first so that they would know they're welcomed in, into God's family. And that's why Jesus says in Matthew 20, verse 28, the son of man, speaking of himself, did not come to be served, but to serve, to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus came for the purpose of giving his life away, giving his life away to others. And as he did, he brought joy into their lives. He brought to them the joy of heaven and he brought it to everyone he met. And here's the thing, he didn't wait for people to come to him in order to experience that joy. He went to them. He met people where they were. See, when you study the life of Jesus, you will notice an interesting trend. Uh, 10 different times in the Gospels, as you look at Jesus' life, 10 different times Jesus had meaningful encounters with people in religious contexts, like in the temple or in the synagogue, 10 different times. 
But as you study his life, you will also find out that 120 different times he had meaningful encounters with people outside of religious context, outside of the temple or synagogue or worship. See, Jesus met people in their homes, at their places of work, on the streets. He met people on mountainsides. He met them on the shores of lakes. He met them wherever they were. And in so doing, he helped hurting people and broken people and lonely people. He helped sick people and blind people and lepers. He brought value to the lives of prostitutes and rebels and tax collectors. He spent time with the poor, the outcast, the rejected. You see, Jesus took the joy of heaven with him everywhere he went. And he wanted those on the outside of God's family to know you have a place inside God's family. And if we today are painting a picture of the church to look like Jesus, it's got to look like that. That's what Jesus tells us in Luke 14, verse 23, go out. In other words, don't stay where you are, but go out into the country lanes and behind the hedges and urge anyone you find to come so that my house will be full. And so here at First Church, if you're new here, we believe God has given us a mission. And that mission is to unleash his love on the 918 and beyond, on Northeast Oklahoma and beyond. But in order to do that, we can't just huddle up and keep to ourselves. We've gotta be a people on the go. Jesus expects us to take his party, his celebration, on the road with us wherever we go. And interestingly, that's the picture of the church that we see in the book of Acts, which records the earliest history of the church. So if you have your Bibles or a Bible app on your phones or tablet, go ahead and look up with me, Acts chapter 3. That's where we're going to be camped out today. That's where we're going to study. And as we get to Acts chapter 3, what we discover is that the church has an explosive beginning. The church begins with only a few followers of Jesus meeting in the city of Jerusalem, and within a day's time, it explodes to thousands of people. And then as you read on through the book of Acts, what you will find out is that the church continues to grow exponentially. It continues to grow by the thousands and it gets bigger and bigger as time goes on. And I think part of the reason why the church in its earliest days experienced such phenomenal growth was because the early followers of Jesus took Jesus, took his joy, took his love, his grace with them wherever they went. And we see this happening in some of the first followers of Jesus named Peter and John in Acts chapter 3. Peter and John were not just early followers of Jesus, they were also apostles appointed by Jesus to lead his church. And they're going to the temple one afternoon to pray and we see that God gives them a great opportunity to unleash his love. So follow along with me if you would, Acts chapter 3 starting at verse 1. And the scripture says this, One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. Now, a man crippled from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up. 
And instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple course, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit big, begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Now, what we need to understand for our context is that in this day and age in first century Palestine, there were three prescribed times of prayer for the Jewish people. 9 a.m. in the morning, 3 o'clock in the afternoon, and then at sunset. And normally, during those times of prayer, thousands of Jews living in Jerusalem would go to the temple in order to worship God. They would go there for their times of prayer, to worship, and also the priests would offer sacrifices. So Peter and John, realizing the church is still in its earliest days, and they need to tell everybody they can about Jesus, they know there's going to be a huge crowd of people at the temple at 3 p.m. that day for the time of prayer. And remember, those gathered at the temple, they weren't followers of Jesus yet. They hadn't accepted Jesus as their Lord. So they knew there'd be a big crowd there and they wanted to tell as many people as they possibly could about him. So they travel on their way there praying, hoping that when they got there, God would open a door of opportunity for them to share Jesus's love. And here's the thing, God gave them that opportunity, but it wasn't inside the temple. It was actually outside it before they even got there. You see, as Peter and John approached the temple, they would have come to a gate called Nicanor. It was commonly referred to as the beautiful gate or the gate beautiful. And what separated it from the rest of the temple gates was its size and its makeup. First, it was taller than 75 feet. I mean, that's how big this gate was. And if you want to have an idea of how tall that is, I mean, from floor to ceiling in our building is not 75 feet. This was a huge, huge structure. But not only that, this temple gate, it wasn't plated with gold and silver, made of stone plated with gold and silver like the other gates. It was solid Corinthian bronze. One first century historian named Josephus writes that this gate far exceeded the values of those plated with silver and gold. It was a massive and heavy structure. It was so massive, so heavy, that it took 20 men every single morning just just to open up one side of the gate. And then it took 20 men to shut the gate as well. Now on the steps leading up to this gate, that's where the outsiders would have been kept. And by outsiders, I mean those who were not considered worthy enough to go into the temple and worship. See, in this day and age, in this culture, if you were sick or had an illness or disease, or if you were physically handicapped, disabled in any way, the culture believed that you were cursed by God and you were not permitted to come in and worship because you were considered unclean, unfit for worship. Now, God doesn't That's not how God works. God doesn't believe that, and we don't believe that here, but I just want you to understand the culture of that day. And so if you were sick or had some type of illness or some physical disability, you were told you had to stay outside of the temple. And typically what would happen for people like this lame man in our passage, they would sit on the temple steps and they would beg for money. Because in a day and age before there was a Disabilities Act or social services or anything like that, the only way you could survive was to beg for money. And so that's what this man is doing as people walk by. So I want you to imagine this guy. One, he's excluded from worship with God's people. And not only that, there was a lot of social activity that went on in the temple court. So he was excluded from social activity with his own people. 
But not only that, he was left to beg day in and day out just to survive. And you know, there is something very demeaning about begging when you have to. I'm not talking about panhandling, but there's something very demeaning when you're forced to beg. I remember talking with a homeless man one time, our guy, he had spent some time on the streets when he was without a home. And I remember him telling me the worst part about living on the streets, the worst part about being homeless was that every single day he felt as if that people just looked right through him or past him, as if he didn't even exist. He said, on most days, I felt invisible. And I've got a feeling that's how this lame man felt in our passage. People would go to worship. They would go to the temple day in and day out, and they would either be annoyed by him asking them for money, or they would look right past him, act like he didn't even exist. See, begging, it robs people of their self-worth, their dignity, and their sense of value. And that's why I think it's significant what happens in verses four through five of our passage. Remember what happened? It says, Peter looked straight at him, straight at this man, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. Those are three key words there, look at us. So the man gave them his attention. Let me ask, where were the man's eyes when Peter and John walked by? Not looking at them. You know why? He was probably ashamed probably embarrassed of what he had to do. He was ashamed, one, because he had to beg for money to survive, but also remember this culture believed he was cursed by God, that's why he had this disability. Not true, but that's what everybody thought. And so this man, as people would walk by every day, probably had his head down looking at the ground, and he would say as people walked by, got an extra dollar to spare, got some coins, alms for the poor, but he wouldn't make eye contact with them because he knew that he was beneath them, at least that's what he had been told. And so when Peter and John walk by, what do they do? They invite this man to lift his head. They invite this man to make eye contact with them. And why do Peter and John say, look at us? Why do they invite this man to lift his head? Because they were modeling what they had seen Jesus do over and over and over again. Throughout Jesus' ministry, he would go to people who felt shame, go to people who felt like they were outsiders, go to people who were on the margins of society, and he would say, you matter to me. You matter to God. So Peter and John invite this man to lift his head. And the thing is, we're called to do the same. As followers of Jesus, we invite people to lift their heads. You know why? because we know Jesus restores dignity and value to those who've been wounded by this world, who've been beat up by life. We are those who go to those people in our culture who have their heads down, and we let them know that they matter to God, that God loves them and we love them. We let them know that their present situation doesn't define their worth, that their past doesn't define their identity, that in Jesus they can have a new identity and that they can become who he declares them to be. We let them know that Jesus has the power to rewrite their story and Jesus wants to do just that in their lives. That's the message that our world, our culture needs to hear today. That's the message that we have to share and that's the message that this lame man needed to hear. So this man, he asked for money because that's what he had always done. That's what the culture told him he had to do to survive. This was the cookie cutter existence that had been given to him. So he asked for money. And what's interesting is Peter and John, they don't have what this man wanted, what this man asked for, but they had what he needed. And I love their response, verse six. 
Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. You see, what I've discovered is that most people, what they really want is not what they really need. See, some people think if I just get more money or more stuff or fame or popularity, then I'll be satisfied, then I'll feel content. And some people get those things and they still feel very empty because it's not what they need. See, what they need is the life that only Jesus can offer them. And that's why I love the line when Peter says to this lame man, what I have, I give you. And so what do Peter and John do? They heal this lame man and he walks. Now I get it, I know what you might be thinking. Yeah, but Chad, those were apostles. I mean, these were men especially appointed by Jesus to go out and do uh, this phenomenal work and lead the church and I'm not Peter and John. I don't have the ability to heal people like Peter and John had. And that might be true. You may not have the ability to heal people like Peter and John did, but that doesn't mean God hasn't given you something to give the world. You see, this healing in our passage, even though it was incredible and awesome, this healing, it was only a temporary fix. And let me clarify what I mean by that. I'm not saying that the healing only lasted for a short period of time and then the man couldn't walk in. No, it lasted for the rest of his life. But what I'm saying is, this man was not going to live on this earth forever. Do you know what the average man in Palestine in this day and age, what age he lived to? Most men in this day did not see the age of 50. They died in their 40s. And our passage will go on to tell us later that this man was over 40 years old. Now, I want you to think about this. This man was considered an old man by their standards because you didn't live that long. He probably only had a few more years to live, a couple more years to live. So what this means is he's going to get healed so he can walk. And then in a few years, he's going to die. Now, you might look at that and say, well, that's kind of depressing. That's really a downer. But I choose to look at it in a different light. I think what Peter and John are doing here is they're just giving him a preview of heaven. I think what they're doing is they're giving him a taste of what's to come. I think what they're doing is they're showing him that eventually he's gonna have the opportunity to live in a place where there is no more sickness, no more pain, no more heartache, no more poverty, no more disabilities, no more sin. And they're giving him a taste of that now. They're using whatever abilities and gifts that God had given them to show this man what he has to look forward to. And you see, I believe we're called to do the same. Because here's the thing, this man, even though he was physically healed in the moment, we read nothing, at least not yet, about spiritual healing. This man still need to follow Jesus, Lord. The healing was just a temporary thing that the apostles did in order to show this man the love of God. And we're called here to do the same. We are here to use whatever abilities, whatever talents, whatever gifts, whatever resources God has given to us in order to show people who God is, to give people a taste of heaven, to let them know that the eternal party that God is throwing can start right now. It can break into your life now. See, what we need to wrap our minds around is that we're not here just to be saved and then hang on until we die, and then we go to be with God. No, God wants to unleash his love on others through you now and through me now. See, as saved people, we are changed people. 
And saved people, we don't play it safe. You know why? Because we know what it's like to live on the outside. We know what it's like to be far from God. We know what it's like to live without hope or meaning or purpose. We know what it's like to settle for the cookie-cutter existence that this world has handed down to us. But we also know what it means to really live. So we're willing to take risk in order to show people that the party that God is throwing, it's for them too. I don't know if you heard about this story, but a couple years ago, there was a little boy named Gabe who had to have surgery because he needed to have a malignant tumor removed. And after the surgery, it left a massive scar on the side of his head. And he went to school, and while he was at school, some of the kids stared at him and made fun of him. So he came back home, and he was telling his parents about it, and he told his mom and dad, he said, I feel like a monster. Do you know what his dad did? He went out to a local tattoo artist and had the tattoo artist put the scar that his son had on his head as well. Here's a picture of this boy, Gabe, and his dad. Because he didn't want his son to feel like he was alone in this world. And that's why we're here as the church, because we are those who have been on the outside in the past. We know what it's like to feel empty, to live without purpose. And what we want to do is we want to come alongside people and say, hey, I'm a sinner just like you, but the difference is I now have hope in Christ. The difference is I now have a new purpose to my life because of Jesus, and you can have that too. And so we unleash Jesus' joy on them. And if you're new here today, I want to let you know about the people that you're sitting with right now. You're sitting with a group of people who last year gave over a quarter of a million dollars to compassion and mission causes. Why? Because we want people on the outside to know that the party God is throwing is for them as well. You're sitting among a group of people who most of which are part of a smaller life group. And our life groups here at First Church, they go out and they serve people. I've heard stories of life groups building homes and adding on additions to people's homes, mowing yards for senior citizens, going out to nursing homes, taking food to the poor, sponsoring classrooms and schools. And the list just goes on and on. You know why? Because we know what it's like to be on the outside and we want to use whatever gifts and abilities and resources God has given us to give people a taste of heaven. That's why this church started a Love 918 ministry several years ago to help the hurting and the broken throughout Northeast Oklahoma. That's why last year many of you changed your Christmas Eve plans in order to go out and serve people and be the church on Christmas Eve. That's why earlier this year, our church collected thousands of dollars through dollar drives in order to give flood and storm victims some hope throughout the Owasso area. That's why our church sponsors mission trips across the globe throughout the year in order to go out and tell people about the hope that is found in Jesus. That's why this church throughout this series has invested money, resources, and volunteer time to throw a party every single week here because we want people to know that the party that God is throwing is for them as well. And that's why next week we're having a carnival and we want to invite our entire community to come to it because we want everybody to know that God's party is for them. So I want to challenge you invite somebody to come with you to church next Sunday and stay for our carnival. It's all on us. It's all taken care of. All you've got to do is invite people. And I hope that we pack this place out for worship, and then I hope we go out and we celebrate beyond our worship service, and we get to know one another at that carnival, and we just have a good time together. And we celebrate who our God is, and we let our community around us know 
that there's a church here that cares about them. You're sitting among a group of people that have done all this because we are once on the outside and we want to do everything we can to lift people's heads and bring them into the, to the party that God is throwing. We know we've been given life to give it away in whatever way we can. So what does that look like for you? Well, I think it should look like what Paul describes in Ephesians chapter five. He writes, be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. What does it look like? What should it look like for you? Loving like Jesus. Now, I know we say that a lot. Our mission statement here is love Jesus, love like Jesus. But what does loving like Jesus really look like? Let me make it very clear. It means looking at the verbs that are used in Scripture to describe Jesus and making sure that those verbs describe your life as well. It means taking the action words that describe Jesus' life and making sure that those same action words describe your life as well. Let me give you some examples. Verbs like feed. Jesus fed 5,000 people and 4,000 people on a different occasion, not because he had to, but because his heart went out to them. And then he tells us, if you see somebody who's hungry, you give them something to eat. You see someone who's thirsty, you offer them a cup of water in my name. Maybe it's the verb clothe. In Matthew chapter 23, Jesus said that if you see somebody who's naked with that clothes, you go into your closet and you bring them something to wear so you can restore dignity to their life. What about the verb give? Jesus teaches freely you have received, so freely you should give. And some of you have been blessed with some phenomenal resources by God. And there's nothing wrong with having wealth or resources, but God wants you to use that in order to advance his kingdom. And even if you don't have as many resources as others, we all have something that we can give in order to unleash God's love on people. What about the verb go? Jesus says go in all the world and tell people the good news. We're not supposed to just huddle up as the church. We're supposed to go. What about the verb serve? Jesus teaches the greatest among you will be the servant of all. And maybe what you need to do today is you need to serve your neighbor, whoever that is, your coworker, your family member, your friend, the other parents on your kid's ball team. I don't know who it is. But maybe you need to just serve your neighbor individually. But maybe what you need to do in order to serve is to devote yourself to serving the ministry of this church. Now I know sometimes hyper-spiritual people, as I like to call them, will make statements like, well, you know, serving in the church is not the same as going out and serving in the world. I disagree with that. It's a both and thing, it's both. Because guys, what we do here in this place, in this community, is extremely important. That's why the Bible says not to forsake the assembly of yourselves, not to forget to meet together with one another because this, this time we have together could be the only time that some people ever have to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. This time of worship we have week in, week out, may be the only time that somebody ever has to have a meaningful encounter with God. And even if it's not the only time, this may be the moment that they need to draw closer to God. This may be the moment that the Spirit uses to speak to their heart. This may be the moment where God does something great in their lives. And therefore, we don't need to take our ministry as a church lightly. We need to be devoted to it and serve it. And there are tons of ways that you can serve this church. And we've been talking about our next-gen ministry, so they need volunteers. If you want to sign up with that, you can go online and do that. Maybe you need to serve next week at our carnival. You probably heard your host today say that we need volunteers for the carnival next week. 
Maybe what you can do is come to first service because probably our second service is going to be heavy next week. So come to first service and hang around and then go to the carnival so you can make room for somebody else. Maybe it's serving through our Love Now and Eight ministry or being on our First Touch ministry. There's so many areas where you could serve. But let me mention one more that maybe you haven't thought of, especially if you normally attend our North Garnett campus. We have another campus, our Stone Canyon campus. I love our Stone Canyon campus. Hey, guys, I know they're watching right now. I love our Stone Canyon campus. It's a great, great campus. But the leadership of that campus has got together and they have decided that they want to renew their focus. And so next Sunday, they're gonna have a campus relaunch. They're gonna relaunch their campus and then they're gonna come over here for our carnival and join in with us and we're gonna be one church together that celebrates and has fun. But here's the thing, there is a real opportunity for us to reach the surrounding area that surrounds our Stone Canyon campus. Our campus minister, C.J. Everson, told me this week that he got on Google Maps and counted the houses within a three-mile radius. He took time to do that of our Stone Canyon campus, and there are 1,500 homes within a three-mile radius, and they're building new ones all the time. And if the stats are true that only about 40% of the people in this area regularly attend church, there is a huge need. So maybe what you can do is volunteer to help with our Stone Canyon campus. Now that we're relaunching it, especially if you live close to there, and even if you don't, maybe you can devote six months or a year to go out to that campus and tell them, I don't know, but if you want to help in any way with that campus, I'm sure they would love to have your help. So if you want to contact uh, C.J. Epperson, our campus minister, you can get online, find his email. If you want to stop by the hub and sign up, I'm sure that they would love to have your, your support. And if nothing else, have your prayers. Because there's a real need for us to reach that area in Stone Canyon. I believe we can do it. See, maybe all this stuff I just mentioned makes you feel a little bit uncomfortable because, oh, I don't want to leave my North Garnett family or, or I don't want to give up my Sundays in order to go greet or I don't want to help with the students that's out of my comfort zone or love not wanting or whatever. But I think that's what sacrifice is all about. See, Jesus left the comforts of heaven in order to come down and serve us. And you see, a sacrifice is giving up something you love for someone you love more. And in Romans 12, 1, it says, therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Being a living sacrifice means that every single day you're willing to give up something you love for the God you love more and for his people who you love more. And when we do, the result will always be celebration. I want you to notice the progression in the passage we just looked at. First of all, this guy starts to walk. And then he goes into the temple walking alongside Peter and John. And then he starts to jump around. You know why? He's never been part of a worship service before. He's never been in the temple before. And he is so excited, so full of joy. He can't contain it. He starts to jump around with joy in the temple. And then it says he praises God. But he's not the only one. Look at verse 9. It says, when all the people saw him walking and praising God, they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. You see, when we give what Jesus has given to us away, away to others, the result is always celebration. Last Sunday, we had Disneyland Day and they had it out at Stone Canyon as well. And CJ was telling me, our campus minister rather, he was telling me that there was one little girl that walked up to him as they were doing Disneyland Day and she said, Jesus must be a lot of fun. And CJ looked at her and said, well, yeah, he is. Why do you say that? And she said, because this church is a lot of fun. Guys, we want to unleash God's joy on people. We want for the joy of heaven to invade the sadness of earth through us, through our lives, through our ministry.
And in order for that to happen, we can't just be party goers. We've got to be party throwers, like I said last week. We've got to take this love, this grace, this peace, this contentment, this purpose that Jesus has given to us, and we need to take it on the road. I don't know what you normally pack with you when you go on a trip, but I know one thing that's essential. I know one thing Jesus doesn't want you to forget. That's the joy that he's given to you. Take it with you everywhere you go. Like Jesus, let's take the joy of heaven with us wherever we go. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you so much for today and for this time we've had to open up your word. And we just pray that we don't keep the joy that you've given to us through your son to ourselves, but that we unleash it, that we take it with us wherever we go. I thank you for this church, for our campus here at North Garnett, our campus out at Stone Canyon. May you continue to work in and through us to do incredible things for your son's name. It's through his name, Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen.